0: there's no real character with the witcher himself like he just seems to brood and he doesn't seem to have anything other anything else to do other than to go
1: eh, eh, eh. <laughs> recorded in our nerd haven
0: studios this is pop medieval your host dr richard scott noakes and nina mackinac discussing the intersection
1: of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis and now back to your podcast
0: what doc what nina how have you been? Long time, no talk.
1: Yes, well, <laughs> I have been, it's been a busy time for me. You know, it's been, uh, you know, summer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The school year got off to a...
0: Interesting start.
1: An interesting start, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, my my semester, you know, we, uh, I went away for spring break.
0: And you didn't really go back to work physically. No, I
1: didn't. I, I came back to work. We They told us after spring break we had to return because a lot of people didn't want to. And uh, by the time... The end of the day that we returned, it was, oh, by the way, not only aren't, don't you have to return, but you're now banned from campus. Uh, so <laughs> I worked. Mixed blessing. So that was basically it. And so I spent the, a good part of the summer prepping, just busy at work, trying to get education working again uh, in mm-hmm. the time of global pandemic. So that's been fun.
0: All of that falling on your shoulders alone.
1: Well, <laughs> sometimes it has. <laughs> but I have to admit, there are a couple of the people who are working on it with me. So it's not only me, uh, but some days it feels like it. So how about you? What have you been up to? Well,
0: other than my day job, um, which I don't talk about on this uh, podcast, I, I've been writing my book. I've been in the second draft, which you have read some of mm-hmm. that, and I have almost entirely thrown myself into that Mm -hmm. Um, my nights are spent like get up from my day job and I'll have a little bit of dinner and then I'll sit down at my my home computer and I'll just write and I'll write until about 1030 at night and then I'll go to bed and that's that's pretty much my life now because I am like absolutely resolute in finishing this this is uh, a project that isn't that's been about oh I'd say 11 years in the making
1: yeah, I rem I remember when it had a different title, so it's been yeah. it's been a while.
0: Yep, and uh so I'm I'm determined to get this out. I don't know when it's gonna be finished, but I'm I'm no longer just saying, um, eh, I'll work on it here and there, I'll work on it whenever I have time. I am forcing myself to finish it and get it done and get it complete and published within well. When I can, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's yeah, don't, still in don't progress. Don't commit yourself to I'm a not, date publicly. I, <laughs> yeah, I, this, there will be no no promises of a date on this this episode, but it is definitely a... As long as I am alive, I will have this thing published. So that is what I've been doing these past couple of months.
1: <laughs> okay, well, good. And I, I did read the the second draft of the first part. Mm-hmm. How many parts are there going to be? There's going to be five. Five, yeah, five parts. Um, uh, six so uh, it will definitely be worth reading. At least twenty percent of it will be worth reading. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't promise that the last eighty percent won't go off a cliff, but the first twenty percent <laughs> work was was quite good.
0: Well, well, if I have that vote of confidence from you, then I'm more <laughs> motivated than ever to continue. So, so my you.
1: early recommendation is. At least twenty percent of of Nina's <laughs> book someday it's, in the future when that's it's That's the
0: eighty twenty rule, right? I mean, that's right. <laughs> but really, that's not exactly everything that we've been doing over the summer. We have make been making time to do more medieval things for this podcast because we do want to continue and we do mm-hmm. want to um, facilitate another season and keep this going because we do have a we do have a following with this podcast.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised by how much impact it's had, but there you go. And so. it's not
0: just friends and family either. And I'm I was surprised.
1: I know it's not just friends and family because uh, a, at the beginning of the summer, my my wife decided that she was going to start listening to it because she got sick of other people talking about it and she didn't know what it was about. So. <laughs> when we so it was the first season was done before she started (laughs) listening
0: when we get her to listen to us jabbering on for a while then we know it's it's a hit
1: yeah she gets plenty of that from me already
0: (laughs) (laughs) and she's not tired of us yet so that's good
1: oh well there you go Uh, she hasn't kicked me the curb yet so uh so what have you been doing that's more along these lines
0: Um, well, the first thing I've done this past summer with a medieval flair to it is I finished the first book in the Frank Herbert series, Dune, called Dune. And this is another long time coming thing because I first was introduced to the Dune series through the 1984 movie Dune, um, by a person whose name I shall not mention, um, (laughs) because they engineer this podcast, I don't know who that could be, years ago, and the way I was introduced to this movie it was uh, 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 poor. <laughs> they They happened to say it was a very, very good movie, and I was on board for a very, very good movie. Had they framed it as a so-good-it's-bad movie, I would have been all, my expectations would have been much different, but that was not the case. Because, you know, I love really, really so bad it's good movies, but that was not the case. And you just really have to be in the mood for David Lynch movies as it is. Yeah. And I was not in that mindset, and I was not in the mindset for a so bad it's good movie. I was set for a masterpiece, and that was not what was given to me.
1: No, no. it's It has moments, I suppose. You you see in it what it might have been, but it was not what it might have been.
0: This is true, yes. Yeah. So I put off reading the book for years and years and years and finally this year I said, you know, I'm going to read it because it's been too long and I I need to give this book a chance and for this podcast because I was aware of its medieval themes, uh, motifs, and I I knew it was not medieval European and Mm. I think we need to branch out and do things that are not just medieval Europe and medieval England as well. Sure. So I, I read the book and I really enjoyed it. I thought mm-hmm. it was really, really good. So the the gist of Dune, which I, I'm not going to go into the plot in depth because, one, we don't have the time, and number two, I think we should have an entire episode about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Planet Arrakis is a Dune planet. No water, no rain, nothing. It's all sand, and the main MacGuffin of Dune is the Spice Melange, which is responsible for Things Again, I'm not going to go into a lot of it. And the two warring houses are House Atreides and House Harkonnen. There's a big betrayal. And the main character, Paul Atreides, is um, supposed to be the one who is uh, supposed to rule over the native people, the Fremen, based on uh, divine right. Mm -hmm. Or so he thinks. Again, and I go back to medieval themes, uh, not based in medieval Europe or medieval England... Frank Herbert was an interesting writer. He was an environmentalist, and he was also a cousin of Joseph McCarthy. I don't know if you knew that. I did not
1: know that. No, that's news to me.
0: mind-blowing. He was a cousin of Joseph McCarthy. First cousin, yeah. Not just like Mm -hmm. a third cousin once removed, but first cousin of Joseph McCarthy. Themes of feudal lordship and colonialism. Just absolutely fascinating that you don't read too much about. You don't... This is not a, a fantasy series that uh, you see and, and that gets explored too often. It really addresses colonialism and divine right and leadership. And mm-hmm. I, I got to the ending of the book and I thought, is Paul Atreides the hero in this story? I don't really know. I don't have an answer for that.
1: I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure there are heroes in the Dune series. Uh, that's not true. There are people who do heroic things. Yeah. But I don't know that there's. It's multi-generational, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there's a single protagonist that you follow through uh, without getting into details. There are characters you can sort of trace a line through, but I kind of don't think it's that kind of story.
0: No, it's a – because this I know the series, the first six books that Frank Herbert did write, they take place over a millennia. It's not yeah. just Paul Atreides' story, but it's multi-generational – sorry, uh, Engineer Mike corrected me just now – 10 millennia of uh, multi-generations – uh, inhabiting this planet, mm-hmm. the the question of you know do these people have the right to be here that 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 came up on in my mind, but I don't I, I don't think we we see that enough in fantasy. Well, I, we do see that a lot in fantasy, but I don't think we see enough medieval Middle Eastern fantasy to or Middle Eastern yeah. lore, especially not in in our area in our historical area.
1: No, I mean there's a lot of interesting work on. The Middle Ages in in the Middle East, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it hasn't really sparked so much, so much fantasy fiction. Most of it, frankly, most of it that there is is sort of basically what you would think of from European fantasy like Tolkien. But let's yeah. but 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 let's slap a few turbans and some scimitars in there and a, a camel and we'll call it Middle Eastern. There's yeah, a little bit, uh, you know, there's a little bit of that. There's to
0: appropriation, it. but there's yeah. no there's no not a lot of respect for the culture. There's not a lot of studying, um, and understanding from that point of view.
1: Part of it too is that there's this, uh, you know, in Thousand and One Nights and uh, tales of Aladdin and things. We do have some a, a really interesting and rich tradition, but a lot of it, it gets sort of filtered through not just the European lens, but also the lens of Islam, which is in conflict with some of the fantasy elements, right? Which are kind of older, pre-monotheistic elements mm-hmm. uh, in that. So Yeah. So so it is complicated. And I think that's, I don't think we can just say like, well, people just aren't buying those books so they don't exist. But rather, it is it is hard. There hasn't been a kind of singular figure who essentially in a Tolkien kind of way or in a C.S. Lewis kind of way, created a world that then people later on could go like, oh, this is what it looks like now.
0: Mm -hmm. But definitely, I don't know if I'm going to continue the series, but I want to read more of either that fantasy or more into that history. Mm -hmm. It's definitely an area that sparks my interest. Um, So there's that. Another medieval-themed piece of pop culture that I got into – over the summer was I watched a movie on Netflix called The Old Guard
1: yes I saw it as well
0: uh, and I want to hear your thoughts um, I, I picked up on it night I or watched it because I had hoped it had a more medieval theme going for it than it did um, so this is more tangentially medieval it was a decent movie it was a, a tight concise had a good plot well-driven Charlize Theron, just about everything that she's in, I can say she's she's going to be great. She's going to be the standout character in it. Uh, she kicks a lot of ass.
1: Yeah, I felt like at some point there are certain scenes in the movie which ceased to be part of the movie and were just vehicles for showing just look how tough this actress is. Right? <laughs> like she she is she can really fight. Yeah. Uh, or at least do a choreographed fight. Like uh, just go through film the top. Action stars, she's up there. I would say definitely if we were to come up with the top 10 in terms of those who could do a legitimate fight scene, mm-hmm. she's up there.
0: Uh, I can say the same thing about the actress that played Niall, too. She mm-hmm. she did a great job as well. I had hoped this movie would talk more about the characters' past, especially the 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 two men who were from the Crusades. I thought mm-hmm. that was a very interesting backstory. Yeah. And I also like that this movie really didn't talk about how the characters got the their immortality Mm -hmm. i thought the the mystery about okay they were just suddenly immortal i thought that was fascinating you you didn't have to explain it you didn't have to say oh well there's this magic fountain they drank from or oh they were suddenly blessed by a god i thought that would have been too corny i know it's based on a series of graphic novels maybe i I have not read that maybe that goes into it a little bit more not sure but yeah it was a, a pretty good movie um one of those like three out of five star movies that you would say yeah recommend it if you're ever bored and you want to watch something pretty cool put it on chill out on a rainy day worth a watch what did you think
1: that's my view of it exactly like i i did enjoy it and the whole thing about them being immortal is a they set it up like it's a spoiler in the movie but every Mm -hmm. trailer for it Reveals that immediately I hate uh, that. within within ten yeah. seconds, and so then they 're kind of coy about it in the in the film, and I thought, well, you just revealed it, and since Netflix is the only place that you can watch this, it isn 't like you could have avoided the trailer; it just exactly. will instantly begin playing the trailer, so you you couldn 't begin without knowing this. I thought it was tight enough that it was really worth a watch, um, mm-hmm. and the action was quite good, I do think it dealt with not medieval themes but some interesting themes of characters which are If you are immortal and there are just a very few number of immortals, what does your relationship look like? You know, when you have conflict, how do you handle that when you can't just say, well, I never want to see you again? You could, but there's only maybe a half dozen people in the world who understand you and Mm -hmm. understand what's going on with you, even if you don't like them or you or you have a conflict with them. Uh, and I, I thought that was an int- I, for me, in terms of that was really the most interesting part of it. I don't think it was designed to be that kind of character study, but I did like that element quite a bit. Yeah. And so you mentioned before you watched something else on Netflix.
0: <laughs> <laughs> OK, yeah. So I have these listed in a particular order from best to worst. And I need to preface this by saying anytime there's something streaming, like a series streaming on Netflix, like it was meant to stream on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu. I always give them about three or four episodes to find their stride because I know that things like plot structure and character development—it that's changed now with the streaming world. You don't right. have to have the the rigid the rigidity of a three act plot on a streaming service anymore because who cares? You know, you're gonna sit there and you're gonna binge through it um, rather than say watch an episode a week or a day like we used to back in the olden days when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And I do this, and the reason why I do this, just sidebar, is because of Bloodline. You remember Bloodline? Yes, yes. Okay, four episodes into that, it got so good. Right. And I continued watching. I was like, wow, this is really, really good. Now, after I think the third season, I stopped watching the third season. It wasn't that good anymore. But anyway. Agreed. I put on a show that was recommended to me by just about everyone who said, oh, you know, Game of Thrones isn't on anymore. Game of Thrones sucked toward the last season, which it did. So you're going to want to watch a new fantasy series to take its place. that has got blood and gore and sex and all that stuff. So why don't you watch The Witcher? And I said, sure, what the hell? And I could not make it through three episodes because it was so bad. And I know, I know, I know, I'm going to, I'm so glad I'm not on social media because I would just be torn apart right about now. But I really could not get past or the end of the third episode. I, I turned to engineer Mike and I said, that was unpleasant. I'm not watching any more of this. And he said, no, that's fine. Let's not watch any more of this because it's bad. Like I really don't know what people see in this show. It's not good.
1: Yeah, I, I have the same, like I only went through one episode and I have to say, I know we're offending people because wow. when people recommended it to me and yeah. a lot of people did, they didn't just say, oh, I think you'd like this or this seems like your thing. I Almost to a person, I said, it is amazing. It is great. It is the best thing on streaming yeah. now. It is. And I was like, wow, I was. And then I watched the trailer and I'm like, that doesn't look good to me. But finally, I decided I was going to watch it and I got through one episode and I just maybe episode six or nine or 20 is great, but man, I just found it unwatchable and uh, I know everyone is mad and throwing their, their streaming devices across the room right now or their podcast devices, but I just have no, ugh, ugh. I couldn't stand well, it. Well,
0: they're they're still mad at you because of your opinions on, uh, what is it? The last Jedi? No, not the last Jedi. What What was the, the star Wars that you didn't like? <laughs>
1: I mean, I. Uh,
0: I hate to bring up those old memories.
1: I mean, uh, you know, I didn't like a lot of Star Wars movies. Uh, so. What was the
0: Star War that you didn't like? <laughs> <laughs> the problems that I had with the with The Witcher, and I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to spoil this for anyone. And I'm not, and if you liked it, that's fine. I'm not here to to crap on things that people like. But I didn't understand by the third episode it became evident that there were three plot lines or three timelines that were going on at the same time and i'm like Mm. oh okay that's that didn't make any sense and that wasn't evident until just now and i guess that explains a lot but the very third or the very last episode that i saw two very violent things toward women were going on and I, I just, I noped out of that. I was like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not doing this. And look, I understand that there's very violent things that happen to women on, on television shows. And it happens for a plot purpose and it gets resolved. That's okay. Yes, I understand. But... This didn't seem to serve a purpose at all, and and mm. I'm I'm just like this this is uncalled for, and I, this is gross and icky and uncomfortable. And why did you sit and make me watch this? Why did you write this into your show? And yeah, I understand that there this is based on books, and there's a video game which I did not watch, and I didn't, or I did not read, and I did not play, because I don't believe you should have to do homework before you watch a, a, <laughs> another piece of media. Right. But also, there's no real character with the Witcher himself. Like, he just seems to brood, and he doesn't seem to have anything, other, anything else to do other than to go, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> He just grunts a lot. He, we're told that he's oppressed and that people don't like him because he's a Witcher, and I, I wasn't seeing that at all in the first three episodes. Then there was rape as a backstory in the first episode, and I'm like, no, don't do that. And just no, I I was just, no, this is, this is not cool. I don't like this. This, this is not for me.
1: Yeah. I didn't get far enough into it to say, I don't like the themes. I didn't like the production quality, the acting, the dialogue, basically the, like, <laughs> oh, I, I, haven't I, I it sounds that. like I'm crapping all over the, and I kind of am in a little ways, but yeah. what I mean is like, I can't even comment on the themes. I didn't get that far into it, but I was just like, and eh, I'm not enjoying. Um, if you take this exact same style Mm-hmm. And you put it on something I love, I'm gonna hate that thing that I currently love, yeah. is what I'm saying. So I also didn't, I couldn't, I you went went further than I did. I got through the first episode and it was a bit of a slog for me. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like if you're listening to this and you're like, well, maybe Witcher's terrible and I shouldn't watch it, I, I have to confess, it wasn't just a few people said you'll like it. People were like, This is amazing. It's the best thing I've ever seen. So if you think you might be interested. I'd say if you watch like 10 minutes of it, you'll get a sense of whether you're going to like it or not.
0: Yeah. I I say if the stuff that I listed doesn't bother you, then go ahead and watch it. That's fine. Mm. I mean, whatever is up to you, then, you know, it's up to you. (laughs) Deity
1: bless.
0: (laughs) Those were, yeah, those were the things that I did over the summer that had a medieval slant to them.
1: Well, I, as you know, was pretty busy over the summer uh, trying to get, trying to basically transition, not just myself, but transition all the other help my colleagues transition to online things and Mm
0: -hmm.
1: basically deal with pandemic and education stuff. Um, But I was actually able to squeeze in a couple other things. And one is kind of hoity toity, but, um, I have one of the last visiting scholars, uh, here in America, uh, at the moment, (laughs) uh, she came to work for me. And so I, I ran the visiting scholars program at my university for some years, but I never had a visiting scholar who was interested in what I was interested in. So always a bridesmaid, never a bride My, or in this case, always the wedding planner. Right. So I was always (laughs) setting, you know, uh, helping scholars come work with people in their field. And I never had someone in my field. And so finally, professor who's a specialist in Tang dynasty, uh, literature, um, which would be contemporaneous with the, with the European middle ages, uh, she asked to come. Um, I was pretty excited. And then after the first, and then she wasn't able to come and a year later for, for complicated reasons, bureaucratic reasons, they're not important. Uh, and then a year later she was able to come and I was pretty excited and she arrived two weeks before, uh, the pandemic, publicly broke out in Wuhan. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, so she, and so and so and then, you know, within a few weeks, nobody was coming. Uh, most have left. I think we have got a couple of visiting scholars left, uh, but I've got one of the last ones. And so I've been reading a lot of Tang Dynasty poetry uh, just to sort of learn about it from her, how the poetry works and especially the poetry of uh, Li Bai, who sometimes, for reasons that I can't Ascertain, and she doesn't actually know either. Sometimes it's called Li Po in English translations. Maybe that's a Cantonese name for him. I, I don't really know. Uh, bai Juyi and uh, Du Fu, and these three, these three guys, um, were really, aside from being Eastern Middle Ages poets, they were really perfect for, I felt, the summer summer reading because you see often they have different themes that they play on, but all of them at some point will be, there'll be a a series of poems which are, I went to my summer home, uh, or sometimes they're kind of thrown out to the countryside because they're in political uh, Mm -hmm. disfavor. And I'm drinking wine and looking out at the evening or enjoying the outside world while, while drinking wine. And it's just a real, it's just a really, uh, even if you don't want to get into the details of how the poetry works like I did and things, it's just a really pleasant reading to read. All three of them, Li Bai, Bai Ji and Du Fu. Those guys are really wonderful. And we'll be teaching about uh, Li Bai and Du Fu in my Medieval Lit class this this fall. She'll be taking the lead on that because, you know, she's definitely... she she. <laughs> She's, she definitely knows more than me. She
0: understands the language yes. a little bit more. Now, yes. question about that, because mm-hmm. I know you were studying Chinese a little bit uh, yes. not too long ago. Is this helping with your study of the language?
1: Not in the slightest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because <Okay. laughs> it is – my understanding of Chinese has helped me understand the way that the poetry functions. Mm-hmm. Because understanding how the tones work do – but the truth is, like, I mean, these are so old that the – they don't even use the simplified – even in, in reading it or in hearing it, you're listening to a translation into modern Mandarin, right? Okay, uh, yeah. And just in the same way that knowing modern English doesn't really help you know old English uh, language or or yeah. barely helps you. Like when I um, took –
0: I took Homeric Greek in college and that's not going to help me understand modern Greek or right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Right. Yes, exactly. So I I wish I could say, yes, it's helped me, but the truth is they're, they're really, they're really far apart. The only thing it's helped me do is understand the poetry works in a really complicated way that I, I I don't want to get into uh, right now, but just understanding how tones work and how the structure of the language works Helps me understand how the poetry works, but it's not like I can read it in the original. The mm-hmm. best I could do is I can read some very, very simple things when it's translated into modern Mandarin, uh, but it's gotta be very simple. Cause I am not good uh, at, uh, <laughs> at Chinese uh, at all.
0: Like a dog walking on its hind legs. Is that the yes, same? Yes, <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, I did have uh yesterday. I had two Chinese students on campus who were looking for directions. Uh, And they clearly were having trouble communicating. And so I was able to explain to them in Chinese where they needed to go. And uh, you would have thought that I had, you know, uh, come down from the sky in a a chariot of fire. Uh, They were just amazed at my Chinese, which was worse than their English, to be clear. But I knew the information that I need to tell them so I could it was easier for me to compose it in my head and then tell them in Chinese rather than the yeah. other way around rather than them to try to interpret my English. So, yeah. So anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, if anyone out there wants to uh, uh, meet me and practice their Chinese with me, uh, good luck with that. You will be sorely disappointed. My Mandarin is no And my Cantonese is non-existent. So also.
0: They could educate you.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, it would be very easy to educate me from the point I'm at. <laughs> The other thing that I've been doing, though, is something which it'll shock people to know I haven't done for years, really. And that is, I have been playing Dungeons and & Dragons. And when I say that, I regularly, and for decades now, have had regular games of tabletop role-playing games.
0: Mm-hmm. Which we've talked about on this podcast
1: before. Oh, we have? Okay. Yeah. I, I never know if our conversations are recorded or not. <laughs> uh Oh, everything is recorded. uh, Tabletop role-playing games, so like Vampire the Masquerade, uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, all sorts of stuff in the Fate system. I'm doing something in the Dresden Files universe right now. Um, If you guys don't know what those things are, don't worry about it. But the one thing I have not played for years, really, is Dungeons & Dragons. I played like a one-off here or there with friends. Um, And the reason is that I have, generally speaking, I like the universe of Dungeons & Dragons, but it tends to be set up in a way that see it kill it take its treasure uh -hmm. then you repeat that over and over again i just get bored with that yeah uh very quickly but because my regular role-playing group some of the members because of some scheduling things having to do with the pandemic of one of my regular role-playing groups some of the members couldn't participate and so we were trying to figure out what to do and we decided well we'll do just a short version of something else and we decided to do dungeons and dragons and i would probably get frustrated if i were doing it long term and want to branch out in terms of the story, but I have really been enjoying seeing things, killing those things and taking their treasure uh, over and over again. So, uh, so that's the other uh, medieval thing that I've really spent. I really spent my summer doing is playing D and
0: D. Sounds dorky. (laughs) I am
1: so cool. You would not believe my, my level of cool.
0: Uh, I, I, we, you and I and engineer Mike and a couple other people have played D and D before. So I am, Fully, uh, outing myself as being a dork at Wait, least once or twice. you before. and
1: I have played D&D together? Yeah, you taught us how. D&D or other yes. tabletop games? No,
0: well, other tabletop games too, but no, we've played D&D before.
1: Wow, I yeah. did not remember and then we
0: also pl- And then we played Pathfinder because we agreed that Dungeons yes, & Dragons right. is a little bit too advanced for us.
1: <laughs> well, Pathfinder, if you're interested in playing Dungeons & Dragons, actually, Pathfinder is the good kind of gateway into that yeah. and it's appropriate it's really appropriate for like it's set up when i was a child uh, middle school you know there was this thing there was this uh D basic set it came in a box yeah. it was kind of a gift set and uh, and when i was in middle school uh, i was probably 11 years old i began playing because i was so cool and i think pathfinder fills that cultural role now so if you know mm-hmm. uh someone who's young uh, I guess this is an early recommendation, right? If you know somebody who's <laughs> young and interested in in d anD D, but you look at the books, you're like, I don't want to spend. Like, look at all these books. I don't know what to where to start. Don't start with d anD D then. Start with Pathfinder. Pathfinder, uh, yeah, the definitely. Pathfinder yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun playing Pathfinder.
1: Yeah, I I, I love playing uh, role playing games, and I love when you get a good group you can really create fun stories where if at the end, in the end, if someone dies or someone's character changes dramatically, you, you don't really care uh, because it was fun telling, telling the story. Um, and I know it doesn't fit in here. Uh, it's not something we'll end up talking a lot about in the, in, in this podcast, but I will say that you and I and your Mike, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately is I've been watching the venture brothers. We played a series. Yes. Where, we played, you know, a uh, steampunk era in the Venture Brothers universe. Not mm-hmm. steampunk era, I guess it was, because the race in Monte Carlo was going on and part of it. But anyway, the previous generation or the grandfather's generation. So mm-hmm. it was a, a lot of uh, that was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, God. Yeah, that was the best time.
1: Yes. And we had a very long uh, thanks to engineer Mike. We had from one time reference to the 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 fruit durians. <laughs> If you don't know durians, look them up till they became a major theme and plot point as this story went on. So
0: and in uh, our real life, too.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) This is true.
0: We'll never escape the durians.
1: No, we will not.
0: Well, let's let's continue with the recommendations then. Um, In our recommendations today, I have uh, a TED-Ed YouTube video, very short, uh, called "Why Should You Read Dune" by Frank Herbert. And this is actually what got me started, encouraged me to read Dune. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a brief little video uh, with really cool animations explaining the world of Dune, along with the the environmentalism that uh, Frank Herbert was Herbert was uh, really passionate about. Which again, I didn't know how passionate and um, strident he was about environmentalism. And that kind of piqued my interest. I was like, well, I I thought he was just a crazy old man who liked, who liked cinnamon. <laughs> so I, I've got that in the recommendations. So give that a read and, or give that a watch and then give Dune a
1: read. So another thing that I did partly this summer, uh, mostly was done last semester was, you know, I had a class in, in creative writing and it was about how to, write, edit, and publish for digital media. The uh, students in it, ultimately, I went looking for a good textbook for undergrads and I couldn't find one. And so instead, the project was to create their own. And the students created their own textbook. You know, they they wrote the chapters. Each chapter was, was edited by one of the students and we got it ready uh, for publication. And it is called the Student's Guide to Digital Publishing because it is a list of authors. Uh, I'm listed as the the author. I'm just the really the editor, and I wrote the introduction to it. But the Student's Guide to Digital Publishing is really designed to help people, you know, who don't know anything about digital publishing. It it starts mm-hmm. from the perspective of, gosh, I would like to publish something digitally, and I know nothing about it. And it was really interesting too. We get, we're able to get. So I had one student who was, hes was an English major, but he was really pre-law. He's off to law school now. You know, so he wrote the chapter on law uh, where he got to learn about this thing that he had an interest in uh, before it began. Uh, yeah, go uh, on the interwebs, buy the Students' Guide to Digital Publishing, and please give it a very, very generous review. Besides the fact that we always, people always request five-star reviews. In this case, the five-star reviews are not for me. It's for my students. And uh, I want to see them uh, highly praised on the interwebs. On yes. the Student's Guide to Digital Publishing. Yep.
0: They did a good job. I did some ghost editing on it. It's um, kind of a uh, a vanity project. No, it's, uh...
1: You do ghost <laughs> editing on everything that I, I do. write nowadays. Yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> Even if it's not published by us, you tend to have a look at it before it goes out. So. We
0: do. We're, we're very enmeshed. We have a yes. very enmeshed relationship. <laughs> this is true. And then let's talk about our most recent project that we are extremely proud of, too. Um, that would be uh, Stephen Mulberger's formal combats in the 14th century, which is now in print.
1: Yeah, I mean, we so if people don't know Stephen Mulberger, he is now a retired professor of medieval history, uh, Nipissing University. And he was a aside from being a just a really fine historian. He was very active in the SCA, the Society for Creative Anachronism. And so uh, I'm always fascinated to read what he writes about medieval warfare, because when he's writing about it, there's always a sense of immediacy to it because he has literally done the thing. Uh, he's a very, it's a kind of Thor Heyerdahl expression where he's writing about it from a very, from a historian's perspective. I think actually in his, the book, he never says, by the way, I did this thing, uh, myself, but he does, he does do these things. And when it's at his strongest, I think is when he's talking about the very small, Tight, not not big battles, you know, like Agincourt or something, but the very small battles with just a few people, where the 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 perspective of the individual can really come out. And so, formal combats in the 14th century talks about things like duels and and things like that, and really combat that was set up in a formal way. And you get both the sense of immediacy as well as just a delightful understanding of it. And 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 when we we prepared it for print. I have to say, of course I w- reread it again, make sure because to make sure there's nothing that need to be changed and of course ha- there are some small minor changes. But I remember rereading it and thinking like, "Wow, this is something I didn't know." <laughs> and thinking, well, "No, I must have known it at one time because yeah. I edited this book before." <laughs> uh but it's just real it's so chock full of stuff that even now, a book that I read every word of, I can't tell you how many times. I reread it. I'm still learning new stuff from it. Yep. And it's also the book of the month. This uh, depends on when the when it comes out, but it will be the book of the month at Medievalist.net. So either this month or maybe last month, depending on when this episode drops.
0: Yes. So pick that up. Subscribe to Medievalist.net. Become a Patreon. Good shout out to them.
1: Yes. They're great.
0: So any final thoughts before we wrap this up?
1: No, I mean we've. This has been a fun meandering uh, episode to catch us <laughs> up on on uh, all the summer stuff. I, I'm sure our, all our future episodes will be more, uh, I think, mm-hmm. tightly focused. But I feel like I needed to get tie these little strands that have yeah. come together over the summer together again.
0: Yeah, and if not, Engineer Mike has a lot of stuff to either go in the outtakes or in our intro. So, but either That'd way, we've got we've got a great way to start season two. Yeah, wonderful.
1: All right. Well. West 2 Hall, Nina. West 2 Hall, Doc. Pop and Evil was recorded under in the studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Nokes and Luna McClendon. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Ginwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash pop Thank you for listening.